Good morning, everybody. Okay, so we put the warning signs out. Let me start with that. Um, we're talking about the topic is sex at its best. So if um, that makes you uncomfortable or somebody sitting next to you, you'd rather them not because they have young ears hear about this subject, you have just a couple minutes, okay? It's not going to be bad. It's, uh, there's no uh, videos or anything like that. Uh, but anyway, I wanted you to know. Last week we talked about uh, pressure. And what we said when we talked about pressure was, is, is from the Time Magazine article, particularly the area of uh, technology and all the pressure it's bringing into our lives, blah, 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 right? So the article was saying that that pressure's not going away, it's only gonna get worse. Well, here's a, here's a wonderful news flash. Sexual pressure isn't going away either. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't end. It's not getting any better. It's, uh, and maybe some ways people might say it's, it's getting worse. I've been reminded of this recently. I've been reading a book on church history. It goes back a couple thousand years to right before Jesus. And I'm reading about these saints and these monks, you know, who like seclude themselves and all this kind of stuff. And some pretty famous saints are pretty candid about uh, their lives and their pressure they went through. I'm reading about this one, about this one saint, and he's like, I passed a woman, uh, oh, let me just disclaimer to men, if you're sitting next to your wives today, okay, so, most of the time men in the sermon is just kind of, you know, uh, and we try to engage guys, uh, but on this subject, for whatever reason, guys really get engaged, and so as I talk about some things and tell some stories, you know, just don't get, don't like, yeah, don't, don't, just be careful, okay, because you could get yourself in trouble. I mean, if she turns and looks at you, just go like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. Okay. So anyway, this uh, saint, this guy, this saint's like, I passed this woman two weeks ago on the street. I can't get her out of my mind. I'm just, I'm just dying. I'm burning with passion for her. He doesn't even know her. Just brushed by her. Saw her one time. Now you think about that and you think about all the images that we pass by every single day, men and women. Okay. Men and women, the pressure is quite high. So last week we talked about pressure. This week we're going to focus completely on sexual pressure that is there. Here, here, here's the goal with this. We want to talk about God's plan and then the power to actually stick to the plans. That, you know, plan your work and work your plan. You've all heard that before. Here's the thing. We might agree, we, we, we might agree in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Remember, I asked you to have an open mind, just have an open mind about this. We might agree after 10 minutes that, yes, I see some merit to the plan of God. We might or might not agree to that. But if we do agree to that, here's where the problem comes in. Where am I going to get the power to actually stick to the plan? Where am I going to get the power? And so that's where we're going. I also want to say this before I begin. Look, Anytime we talk about stuff like this, uh, there's feelings of you're, try you're trying, me, I, the preacher, trying to make you all feel guilty or ashamed or something. That's, I'm not, I have zero interest in that whatsoever. Uh, actually, I hope today would be a day of hope um, and a day of maybe inspiration and power. And where does that power come from? Uh, from the knowledge of what God's plan is and from his spirit at work in our lives and from some very practical things, okay? So there we go. Uh, I've got all the disclaimers out of the way. Let's begin with this. The very first words, think about this, everybody. The very first words that God speaks to humanity are these words, ready? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. I, 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 
you know, it's pretty clear what God is saying in his first words there. I only know one way to multiply as human beings. That's God's first command. And I think that God gets a really bad rap sometimes. God's trying to steal all our fun and the Bible is all about rules and stuff. I want to illustrate it this way. Does anybody here uh, like fortune cookies? Anybody fortune cookie? For, okay, well, then let's uh, toss a couple out. All right, anybody else? Fortune cookie? All right, there we go. Sorry, sorry. I'm not very good with this. All right, anybody else? Fortune cookie? I don't know if I can throw it that far. Okay, oh, you're close. You're close. See, close. There you go. Just tell, tell us what it has. Let's go all the way back there. All right, anybody else? Fortune cookie? There you go, my man. Fortune cookie. Fortune cookie. Right, here's, what, here's the reason I did this. You could put the entire Bible in Adam and Eve's, uh, right, in the fortune cookie. That's how short it was. They went, oh my gosh, the Bible is filled with so many rules. It wasn't really filled with any rules whatsoever except for be fruitful, multiply, tend the garden, stay away from the tree. One, two, three. You can put the entire Bible in a fortune cookie. So I just want to set this up in the beginning, say, we think God's trying to steal our fun. We think that God is oppressive. We think that God doesn't know anything about sex. We think that God turns his head when we're having sex. God is the one who's instigating this. This is his first command, right? Shouldn't we be excited about the commands of God, right? It's an awesome thing. It's a command of God. It's the first command. So let's begin there, that God is the creator of sex, that God is the designer of sex, that God is the one who is encouraging the sex, that God is applauding the sex. But within it, there are boundaries, and that's where the problem's going to come in, is the, is the boundaries to sex. So look, Genesis 2.24, this is what it says. That is why a man leaves his father... And mother, boy, a lot of wives could make a lot of commentary about that right there. But that's another sermon. It's why a man leaves father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That word united, everybody, you know what it means? It means glue. It means glue. Now listen, here's the thing with glue. If you just take glue and start just spreading it all over the place, you got a problem. Practically speaking, right? You have a problem. You can't just take glue. All glue is when you're, when you're doing a project. Glue is usually the last thing you put on. You get all the pieces of the puzzle right, and then you put the glue on. Now it says they become one flesh. That's a very romantic, a very mystical idea that is being presented here. What does it mean to become one? Flesh. Well, it means emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, directionally, everything about your life. All of your hopes, your dreams, and your plans bow down now to our hopes, our dreams, and our plans. It's not two people. It's one people who've become one, and then sex comes in at the end, right? This is what's being described to us, comes in at the end to seal the deal, to glue Two people together. This is what God is saying his plan is for sex. Now, do, do, do we believe in that? Do we like, yeah, I, that works. That's, that's an exciting thing. I'd like to play Name the Tune with you, okay? I got two songs. Let's do the first song, and you tell me if you shout it out, if you know the name to this song or the artist singing it. Let's roll it. Ed Sheeran, somebody, who called it? Ed Sheeran, okay. And the name of the song? 
Thinking Out Loud. Okay, there, there he is, Ed Sheeran, Thinking Out Loud, pop, very popular song. This is what he says in the song. Darling, I will be love... Will you keep playing the song? <laughs> I will be loving you till you're 70, till we're 70. When your legs don't work like they used to before and I can't sweep you off of my feet. He seems pretty committed to this situation. When all my hair is gone and my memory fades and the crowds don't remember my name, I'll fall in love with you every single day. This guy seems like he's very committed to one person. Darling, I'll be loving you till we're 70. All right, let's do one other song. Tell me if you recognize this tune. I thought you guys were more up on culture than this. There you go. And who sings it? Twilight. Thousand Years. Who sings it? Christina Perry. Christina Perry. Let's take a look. Christina Perry. There she is. All right. Here's the words of a thousand, uh, of a thousand years. I have died every day waiting for you. Wow. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years, but that's not good enough. That's pretty much a normal lifespan, thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. You know what gets me? Okay, we're done. Here's what gets me. The music industry, everyone, which is really not renowned for monogamy. Right? Could we all agree on that? Rock stars, not necessarily renowned for their monogamy. That... They're singing this. Why are they singing this? There's more songs. There's plenty more songs. I mean, the John Legend song is great. All of me, all of you, even the bad parts, we're all, we're one, right? Where's that coming from? Could it be coming from because God put it in our hearts? Could it be coming from, yes, we fight certain battles, but guy, really, even me, Mr. Mrs. Rockstar, right? With people throwing themselves on my feet. I want to be fully committed to one person, that I give all my life, I pledge all my life to, they were completely one. Where is this coming from that they would sing about this? 1 Corinthians 6.18, something very important. I know a lot of these verses, everybody, have been used and twisted to beat people over the head. It's not what the Bible is trying to do. So check this out. Flee from sexual morality. Actually, those words, many people think it's a riff on what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife that he ran out of the house. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually against their, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What is being said there is that when we kind of go outside of God's plan, we're really just hurting ourselves. And I know there's people who come along and want to heap guilt and stuff like that, but you know, we're not really interested in that. This is between you and God. And the thing to ask yourself is, am I helping myself doing things my way, right? Or am I hurting myself doing things my way? And does God have a better way that actually is going to benefit me? And so this is what this scripture is saying. University of Virginia, anybody? Um, okay, all right, very good. wasn't very loud, but uh, <laughs> it's football season. Basketball season's coming. Things will get better, Okay. Uh, University of Virginia did a study recently, so uh, there we are. And here's what they found out. They said, you know, in, in the area of getting a job, the more experience that you have, it's better. Like, 
You, you want to get a good job. You want to pad your resume. You want to put a lot of stuff on there. You want to have a lot of experience. And here's what UVA found out, right? UVA found out that in the area of relationships, the more experience you have, the worse off you're going to be. Now, that's what UVA said, not the Bible. That's what UVA said. The more experience you have in a relationship, we're talking sexually, okay? The more experience that you have in relationships, it's going to lead to comparison and bitterness, and it's going to undermine your relationship later on. Now, that's the University of Virginia, and I think there is a lot of sex going on down at the University of Virginia, <laughs> apparently, just saying, okay? So, I want us to look at it this way. Thank you very much, Romano. We have this balloon. Let's just say, uh, well, let's just say this is your sex life, okay? Okay. When, 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 when you begin uh, to become sexually active, and there's multiple people. So then the, the first person you sexually act with, it kind of lets out the sexual significance. And then there's maybe another partner and another partner and another partner and another partner, right? And eventually what begins to happen to our lives, this glue that God gave us that's supposed to be powerful, that glues us to one person, because now there's been many, many people involved then let's say hope, hope and pray, hope and pray. You come to that person that you, you marry to. What University of Virginia is saying is, they don't come out and use the Bible here, but what they're saying is, is that there's comparison, there's bitterness. And instead of sex then being that powerful thing that glues two people together, which is really what we want, it's God's design, and it's what we're singing about, and it's what we're craving in our hearts, the power of the sex and the significance that it has is diminished, and we don't want it to diminish. We want it to be a powerful thing. A study came out years ago, everybody. That, and here's the crazy thing. The most sexually satisfied people in the United States of America are, are married people who have a good relationship. Does that even make sense? Now, we often, it's, it's wild how, how often that we look to movies or we look to TV shows to educate us about sex, and we see that they have sex, and they have sex, and they have sex, multiple people, and they seem like they're fine. The thing is, is they're not fine. That's not real life. In real life, what University of Virginia is saying, what the Bible is saying is it actually turns out to be a major negative in our life, and the power and the significance is diminished, and we don't want to diminish. And the people who are most sexually satisfied in the United States of America are married couples, not people who are going out hitting the bars every night. Right, looking for a quick pickup or a hookup, the hookup culture that we're in. A lot has been written, everybody, about the hookup culture that we're in, and we're saying it doesn't work. So there's no guilt here. There's no shame here. There's nothing of that going on. There's just data. And at this point, we have lots of data, lots of data outside the Bible. We have lots of data showing us that there is a better way, and it keeps pointing back to this thing. And one of the reasons that people kind of recoil from the Bible is because people hear it in a way that's shame on you, shame on you. And so we get mad and say, well, I'll show you. I'll spread my glue all over the place, right? Okay. So the plan is God has a plan. It's the plan is for our benefit, but it's, you know, it is difficult to stick to the plan, okay? It is. Saints and monks and everybody, right? It's very difficult to stick to the plan. So I, I just want to talk about three things here. They're going to help us to bring some power into our lives in some practical ways and some spiritual ways that will help us stick to the plan because that's, that's really what I want to accomplish today because I think many of us can maybe, maybe, 
Some of you might say, no, I completely disagree. That's okay. That's all right. I get it. But I think a lot of us in this room will say, okay, I see the data. I I know what's in my heart. I know what I want. But you know what? I can't stick to it. So let's talk about where's the power going to come from to stick to it. So here's what I have for you. CPR. We're going to resuscitate our sex life with God's power. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Doesn't sound good. Okay. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to res. Whether you like it or not, we are resuscitating your sex life. Okay? Excellent. Uh, C stands for confession. Confession. I need to back up, and, and we need to talk about Judas' life. I need to remind you where we've been, and then I need to tell you what the next step in the whole process is. So let's remind ourselves about who Judah is. We've been talking about Joseph, but really the story is as much about Judah, his older brother, as it is about Joseph. Because Judah steals the show at the climax of the whole event, and Jesus Christ is from the line of who? Joseph is the obvious choice. He's the most likely person that you would say, it would obviously be Joseph. I mean, that guy, Potiphar's wife, beautiful woman, every day after him, he's like, no way, don't want to even spend time with her. And Judah, it's like every skirt that walks by him, he's just bowing down. He's renowned for his uh, sexual lack of discipline, right? That's who Judah is. And so Judah leaves his family, he leaves his father, he has a broken relationship with, he leaves his father and he goes amongst the Canaanites. The Canaanites, were kind of known, renowned for their sexual immorality. And so he goes to spend time with them. Well, the first thing is, is a son would not leave the family. That was highly unusual. The second thing is, is who he spent, who he chooses to spend his time with. And he goes down there. And as we said a few weeks ago, he marries a Canaanite woman. He names the first son evil. What a name evil. Next son is Onan, last son is Shelah. So he gets a, a, a wife for his son once his son grows up. And again, I want to remind you, this whole story is a 20-year track of Joseph's life and Judah's life. Okay? And so he gets, he gets a wife for his son, Ur, evil, gets a wife, and her name is Tamar. And we're told that Ur was so evil that God kills him. We don't know exactly what he did. But the hint is, everybody, that somehow sexually maybe he was oppressive or mean or something like that. There's a hint of it there, but we really don't know. But there's a hint, okay? God kills him. And so Onan comes in number two. Now, here's the deal. If Onan, if Onan, because that was their custom of the day, well, then you would raise up a child through the second son for the first son that died. Got that? Got it. Good. So he comes in, the custom is, but he does evil. He's like, I'm not raising up a son because I'm going to lose all the money from my dad, Judah, because that son will become the heir. I'm not losing out money. And so he says he's evil, so God kills him. So God's killing people all over the place, okay? And uh, maybe he's, he's, he's eliminating people uh, because they are excessive, um, excessively oppressive and mean sexually what they do, right? Now we got Shelah. Shelah's the last son. So Judah looks at Tamar and says, well, every one of my sons that marries her is dying. It must be her fault. He never looks at himself and says, you know what? I, I need to do something different with my sons. He never considers that. And he says, I'm not going to let Shayla. So what does she do? She dresses up like a prostitute. And one day he's walking by. She puts herself on the road and he propositions her. And uh, he, she says, how are you, how, how are you going to pay me? And he says, I'll give you a goat. Well, where's the goat? Don't have a goat, so I'll give you my credit card and my social security card for now, and I'll send the goat later, basically is what he says. And so they have sex, and she gets pregnant. Three months later, somebody comes to Judah and says, Hey, uh, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been a whore. 
and she's pregnant. And he says, the normal thing for judgment on that would be to stone her. But he takes the excessive path and he says, burn her to death. And then she says, she produces the social security card and the credit card. And here's the whole turning point in his life. It's almost like the prodigal son, the prodigal son who's gone off to live riotous living, whatever riotous living is. He goes off. All of a sudden, he comes to his senses and Judah confesses. So the first thing to write down here is confession. Confession will change our life. What is confession? Confession is, is when we say, you know what? My way's not working. I need God's help. Why would anybody confess? The only reason anybody would confess is if they think they can't win. He's finally gotten to the position here where he's like, I can't do this on my own. I have to come completely clean. Right? Why, why would anybody say uncle? Why would anybody tap out in a UFC match? Because they think they can't win anymore. And confession is the exact same thing. It's when we come to God and say, you know what? I've been trying, but now I have to trust you. Why is it that I won't stop and ask for directions? Because I feel at some point I'm going to figure this thing out. And it's the same struggle that we go with in life. So confession is when I just say, you know what, God? I throw my hands up. I'm defeated. And this is what Judah does. And his life radically turns around from this point. This isn't a confession about, oh, I confess I made a mistake with Tamar. No, this is a confession that's much more broad than that. It affects his entire life. It's like, God, I can't do this without you. I need God. I can't win. Psalm 60 verse 12 says, with God's help, we will do mighty things. He will trample down our foes. Now, that's what we want. We want that, particularly in the area of our sexuality. God, there's a thing, there, there, there's a way that I want to function sexually, but I'm really having a very difficult time fulfilling that. Could you please come and trample down my foes? I know that that's what I want in my life. I want God's help to help me win. Well, Romans 8.31 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I love that verse. I love that verse, but you have to look at its context. In its context, it's given of Romans chapter 8, where the first seven chapters of Romans is a person who says, you know what? I can't do this. There's no righteousness in me. I can't win this. I have to completely come to God and ask for God's help. John Stott, who is a New Testament scholar, says it this way. When we're talking about the Spirit of God, we're talking about salvation through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts. Here's what he says it's like. He says, all it takes for that to happen, salvation and the power of the Spirit to come into all it takes is that you have to come to God with nothing. But so few of us have that. Think about that for a moment. Can you come to God with nothing? About 20 years ago, I was in Nigeria and this area in Nigeria that we're in, uh, there was a king. It was like a local king. And while we were there, uh, somebody was with us who was from the town says, the king is willing to see you all. So we're going to see the king, right? It wasn't a palace. It was kind of a small house, but he did have a throne. But you couldn't just walk in to see the king unless you presented the king a gift, right? So the only thing that we had on hand was a package of underwear, there was nothing else, everybody. So we packaged it up, right? Put it in a bag, went into the king, presented the gift. You know, don't look at it now, king. So just <laughs> look at it after we leave. Okay, just here's the gift, right? But we feel that in order to be responsible people, 
We must present a gift to the king. And here's the thing. We come before Jesus Christ, salvation. Here's where the power of the Spirit comes in life. When we can say, you know what, I'm coming with nothing. Nothing to offer. I'm completely hoping. And this is what Judah does when he confesses before God. Uh, years ago, there was something said about Michael Jordan, the great NBA player, right? I think we have a picture of Jordan there. He had this incredible game. And after the game was over, a sports writer wrote this because he had done all these incredible feats. He said, it was like having God on your team. Everybody, that's what we want. So how in the world do we have God on our team? We have God on our team when we throw our hands up and surrender and we say, can't do it without you. Judah comes and what does he have to, what does he have to, hear God, I can present you a sexually pure life. No, I can't, can't do that. Here, God, I can present to you an upstanding life or the way I've treated my family. I have all these good things to present to you. God. He has none of that. And yet we see his life is completely turned around because he surrenders before God. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would have not have listened. Sir Edmund Hillary who did what? Does anybody know what he did? Mount Everest. You know when he came down after that climb? The reporters are all standing around him and says, tell us, how did you conquer that mountain? How did you conquer the mountain? And does anybody know his response? It's famous. It was not the mountain we conquered. It was ourselves. It was ourselves. Here's where the battle is, everybody. Can we say, God, I have nothing I confess it. I bring it before you. There's nothing to offer. And when we do that, when we confess before God, dependent upon him, as Joseph said to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, I can't do it. I can't win. Are you in that place of powerlessness? Have you reached a point where I can't do this? When you have, that's when the power of God will begin to fill your life. There's the first point. Of CPR. The second point is this: people. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three uh, says it this way: Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. So what is being said, beginning in that verse, is: Oh, it's okay. Do this with that person, that person. Oh, yeah, people are just people. And so what Paul is saying here is: No, no, no. Be very careful about the people that you spend time with. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? We need to be careful about what we do and the people we do with and people influence our lives. So when I say, well, you know what? I'm just going out to a party or I'm just going to have a drink or it's just a weekend in Vegas. I mean, come on, what harm could it do? It's just porn. It's just fiction. It's just a TV show. And so Judah goes and he spends time with the Canaanites. What kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? We have to make, if we want to live the life, right? If we want to live the life where we don't hurt ourselves sexually, we really have to think about what people we're spending time with. We all know this. I have a group of friends. When I'm with that group of friends, they take tear me down, right? You understand what I'm saying? You all know what I'm talking about? And there's another group of friends that build me up. You have to make a hard call which group you're going to spend time with. It's very practical. Hey, John, I don't want to do that. It's embarrassing. Hey, okay. It's your life. But we have to make that decision. The people we spend time with make a difference. I got this video. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm going to play the video, right? So you got a guy here, and I'm sure he had a group of friends. So you know what? This is a great idea. This is a great... You, so, so we all have a group of friends. I said, John, 
right? John, why don't you lay on the ground and give your son a club, right? That's a great idea. You know what this guy needed? He needed a group of friends around him who would say, hey, buddy, not a good idea to do that. You understand? Let's watch it one more time since you're enjoying it so much, right? Right? Boom. Okay. There you go. So we all, we, we need friends around us who can, do you have friends like that? How much time are you spending with the friends that pull you down? How much time are you spending with the friends that lift you up? Makes a massive difference in our life. Let me show you this picture. We've got a picture of a crab. Here's the reason I want to show you this picture of this crab. All right. Crab, you've got a crab pot. You put a chicken leg in there, right? And the crab comes in to get the chicken leg. You know what happens? Other crabs join in. And even when the chicken leg is completely done, you've got a pile of crabs in there, right? Chicken leg is complete. You know what happens? When one of the crabs tries to leave, the other crabs keep them in. In the trap. You know, if one crab insists, no, no, I'm getting out of here, they'll rip its claws off. We need to be around the right kind of people who want to help us out of traps, not lead us into traps. And what I've found in my life, if I have certain people in my life who want to lead me into traps and another group of people who want to lead me out of traps, we need to spend our time with people who lead us out of traps. Just be smart. Don't allow somebody else to wreck your life because they're in a trap and they want you down in that trap with them. Here's what I've noticed. There are people in traps and they love to get more people to come into the trap with them. Don't allow that to happen in your life. Last thing is routine. CPR, confession, people, routine. What routine? This very interesting couple of words in Genesis 39.10. I'll read the whole thing to you. And I'll focus on the words. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day. Who's that? That's Potiphar's wife. Smoking hot Potiphar's wife. Okay. Day after day. He refused to go to bed with her. And then notice the last part. What does it say? Or even be with her. What? Even be with her? What was she saying? Oh, come on. So after her first advances and he's like, no, no. What do you think she did? Because it says even be with her. He's like, hey, Joe. Hey, let's just grab a cup of coffee. All right? Could we just go to Starbucks? Get a little red cup of coffee. <laughs> we could draw all kinds of stuff on the cup there together. We feel good. It'd be nice, nice, you know? We could do that. Let's, let's do that. Let's spend some time together. And he says he even refused to... See, things happen very subtly. It didn't happen all at once. Just, it's just a cup of coffee. It's just a cup of tea, right? Let's grab a drink. It's just happy hour. You know how many people I've counseled who've had an affair after just a cup of coffee, just happy hour? That's where it starts. Think about your routine and what you do. The Bible says that we should flee, we should run. In every other area of temptation and fight in our life, the Bible says we should stand firm and fight, except for sex. Except for sex. It says we can't win. You can't win. Think about it. David. David fights this big, huge, ugly giant by the name of Goliath, right? And he defeats him. He cuts his head off. It's awesome. And then who is he defeated by? What was her name? Soft, gentle, Bathsheba. Okay? Samson, he's defeating lions, tigers, and bears, and armies, and everything else. What brings him down? Delilah, right. So the strongest... Of the strong. So if you're a guy here today, I got it under control. I got it, got it under control. Well, those are two, those are two men there. Those are two warriors, disciplined, hard warriors 
who came down in a very ugly way. And this is why the Bible says don't even try to fight, just run. I was reading about a guy just recently. He travels a lot. He's in a lot of motel rooms. And you know what he does? He takes, he takes a picture, a big, huge picture of his family. And the moment he walks into the hotel room, he puts it right next to the TV so he won't watch porn. You're like, oh, come on, John. That to really go to that? Well, if that's saving him, it's a good routine. I know of another guy. He calls and has his wife check on this. He says, take the whole stinking TV out. I don't want to see a TV in my room. Get it out. Oh, come on, man. That's embarrassing. Not as embarrassing as if you blow your life up. Not as embarrassing. These are routines that work. Filters on computers. Years ago, we heard a message by uh, an older minister friend of ours, and he said he was walking the beach one day, and he could see up ahead. They didn't have a lot of clothing on. And uh, he said he just stopped and turned, and he just looked at the beauty of the ocean for about five minutes until they passed by, right? These are very practical things. It's not just a TV show. It's not just a movie. It's not just fiction. It's not just books. It's things that light a fire, you know, inside of us. We made a habit with our son. Our son loves sports. As a kid, we would turn the channel when the red skinettes came on. It's very quiet in here. <laughs> oh, come on, John. That's not a big deal. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? That is a big deal. By way of side note, a couple years ago, I did a wedding. There was only four people in attendance. Three of them were redskinettes. Yes, it's totally true. Uh, and the first thing I did when I got back to the car was what, men? What did I, was the first thing I did when I got back to the car? Who, what husband here can tell me what's the first thing I did when I got back to my car? Call my wife. Exactly right. Because any way you shape it, you're in trouble. All right? Just, <laughs> you say, well, that doesn't make logical sense. That's a whole nother sermon. Okay, so that's a whole, that's a whole other sermon. Listen, uh, here's is what we've known about when people say to us, when we talk to them, okay, when were you strong spiritually? When did you have power? And when did you feel weak? And here's the three things that we've noticed, right? People say, I felt really strong when I was going to church consistently, and I was in with a group of people who were praying for me, and we were studying the Bible together like a community group, and I was serving. And here's when I was weak. When I wasn't going to church consistently, I was not with a group of people positive group of people around me studying the Bible, and it's very practical, and I was not serving. There you go. Three, three routines. Here's one reason why to be apart, why, why to be consistently, because our whole desire here is what is going to bless you, what's going to lift you up. Look, I hope none of that, what I've said today, has made you feel guilty or ashamed, but maybe some of us are here and like, you know what, I haven't quite done it the right way. I understand. That's, I understand completely. I want a day today to be a day of healing, so it's great that we're having communion today. So I'm going to ask those helping with communion if you could come, and I'm going to set communion up. Could you come, and if could the music team come? And um, I'm going to explain the logistics, and then I want to tell you the last piece to the Joseph story, which is really critical in this. And it's, it has so much to do about the power of God to bring healing and hope in our lives, okay? So logistically, if you've never been here for communion before, um, what we'll have is, is we have uh, two people who will be standing right here and then right over there. And there'll be other two there, there, and there. Everybody's open to take communion here. Absolutely everybody. Obviously, since you have to come before God with nothing, uh, everybody is welcome to come to communion. So we welcome everybody to take communion. And you'll go and you'll see that uh, they'll be holding two trays. You'll see this all over the room in just a moment. And there'll be a cup and there'll be a small piece of bread. 
And so we just ask you to take the piece of bread and the cup, and you can eat and drink right where you are and throw it in the trash cans that are in the aisle, or you could go down uh, back to your seats for just a moment because the music team is going to play. And here's what I'd like you to focus on while we do that. Uh, first of all, if there needs to be some healing in your life, God is a God who heals. If you would like prayer, our prayer team's going to be against that wall. We'd love to pray with you. Let's all also ask God that God would give us the power to live out his plan because that is not easy. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not easy. We need the power of God in our lives to live out that plan, and we need to employ these practical things to do that. Let me finish the story about uh, Judah real quick, and I want to tell you why Judah, not Joseph, why Judah, not Joseph, is the climax of the entire story. What have we said? We've said that last week that this story is really about Jesus Christ. That's who primarily the story is really all about. And here is where the power comes from to radically change this family and to change Judah's life. And the reason why it was Judah, not Joseph, who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So what takes place? So eventually, Judah and all of his brothers, and Judah was the ringleader who told everybody, hey, let's sell Joseph into slavery, right? They all come down, and Joseph puts in a position where they're kind of trapped, and he, he, he orchestrates things in a way that Benjamin, the beloved son Benjamin, who his father loves now more than anybody else because he thinks Joseph is dead, loves him so much, Joseph, Joseph traps him, frames him by putting a silver cup in his sack. And so after the brothers had left, he sends the troops out to get him. Here they all come back, and now they're all standing before him, and they say to him, we are willing, any one of us, whoever's stolen the cup, we will be your slave. They open up the sacks, right? And, and who has Benjamin does. And now Judah, who at one point could care less about his dad, one point his life was a complete wreck, including sexually, right? But in many, many ways is a wreck. Here's what he says. Says to Benjamin over here, he is the guilty party. He's the guilty party. But I beg of you, take my life. I will be your slave. I will take all of his guilt and let him go free. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin. We are the guilty party. We are the guilty party. However much guilt you think you might have, we are the guilty party. And Jesus Christ comes in and he says, you know, I will take all of your guilt so that you might go free. There's where all the power is in the story. There's where the power is in communion today. As you take communion, I want you to think about this, that cup and the bread. Jesus Christ has taken your place. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done for you. There's where all the power will come from. Not you powering up and trying to live a sexually pure life yourself, but about you trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and knowing that you are a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you for the practicality of your word, and I thank you for the power of your word. God, may your spirit fill our hearts and lives and fill this auditorium right now because, God, we need your help. As we trust fully in you, may your presence fill us and give us strength. Take away all the guilt, all the shame, all that stuff that's happened. Cleanse us and heal us by your hand. But, God, give us the power to live the life that we want to live in you. 
bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup to the honor and the glory of your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.